Hello, and welcome to Come Towards Delight, the podcast. I'm your host, Mike Gregson. My mission is to find everyday people who are delightful. The people I interview have attractive energy and a positive outlook on life. And I want to give them a platform to share their stories so that others can have hope in the midst of their struggles and see delight in a world that at times can seem gloomy. I will uncover the life experiences of the guests that I interview, which have enabled them to look at life in such an inspiring and delightful way, with the belief that to understand the light, one has to be acquainted with the dark. My guests will share their personal experiences on finding their way through dark and hopeless times and give us a glimpse into the powerful gifts they received in their darkest hours to rise up, take up hope, and view life through new, hope-filled eyes. Is it possible that in our darkest hours, we are given a gift to find the light which leads to our greatest delights? Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Come Towards Delight, the podcast. I'm your host, Mike Gregson, and uh, excited to have another episode today. Uh, It's going to be a fun one. This is going to be very informative, educational, if you will. I think, think, honestly, this is going to be one where it'll allow us all to grow in compassion and understanding and maybe eye-opening way to say, look, you don't know everything about everything. And there are people out there that you could learn to love more and learn to show up for more um, if you'd stop and you'd listen and have those conversations. Um, My guest today, Kurt Nielsen, um, is actually a family member of mine, which is phenomenal. And I didn't know that. (laughs) I didn't know that until um, I did a podcast a while back about coming up on about a year ago. Uh, with Richard Osler. And and maybe some of you have heard me talk about Richard Osler a little bit. I, I had him on an earlier podcast of my own um, on Come Towards Delight, of course. And meeting Richard for me was a game changer in my life. Um, Richard is on a mission and his mis- mission is to build bridges for the LGBTQ. We haven't done a great job building bridges. I'd say we, we haven't done a good job at all. Um, of, of remembering these are God's children. And you know what? Um, there's other marginalized groups out there as well. And, and yeah, there's, there's undertones of people recognizing that, Hey, look, if you're going to follow Jesus Christ, the main thing that, that we learned from Christ was of his love, his perfect love for all his willingness to take all sin upon him so that he could redeem and save every single one of us. And that is the message. And the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, of course, we we believe is uh, we believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God and the Savior of the world. And it's like, hold on, the narrative just doesn't fall in line with what what Christ, who He was, and what He did. The, the narrative for what we're saying about our LGBTQ sisters is not it's not it's not matching up. It doesn't feel right. Um, and and Kurt has an amazing story. So first of all, Kurt, who lives in California, when he heard my podcast, he reached out to me and he said, Hey, um, tell me who your grandparents are. And, and I, and I, of course I did. And I told him who my dad was and Kurt, your mom, Wilma Nielsen is my grandma, Betty Gregson's sister, which is so cool. Yeah. And immediately Kurt, you reached, you said, Hey, I knew your dad. My dad, of course, died of brain cancer in 2008. But he said, I knew your dad loved your dad. And it's been a lot of fun because this happened about 
oh, seven or eight months ago. And you and I have stayed connected. And you've sent me a talk that you gave in a state, com- I believe it was a state conference, correct, Kurt? It was in a, actually a, a conference for just uh, LGBTQ allies and members. So Awesome. Yeah. Your voice is so important. And, and Kurt, as I've gotten to know you and, and the man that you are and, and just our brief, you know, conversations through writing, um, I just have to say, I, I, I applaud you for your courage. Um, I applaud you for being you, uh, your authentic self. And I, I want to learn from you today. I, I have had some struggles in my own life that have put me in places where I've felt as an outcast. Um, and yeah, I can chalk those up to, Hey, those are my choices, uh, because it was an addiction to a substance. Um, so I know about what it's like to feel like an outcast, but I have no idea what it's like to feel like an outcast when you're, you're not making those choices. Um, when other people think that it's a lifestyle you've choose, but it's actually who you are. And so I think that's a very important conversation. So anyway, enough said about that. I I, I think you guys, you're going to find a lot of delight from Kurt because here's a man that has gone through a lot of struggles um, throughout his life. He's had a lot of questions. He's kind of hidden himself to try and fit this mold. And then he, he talks about how he um, had some experiences and feelings where he was able to finally just say, Hey, look, I've got to be me. And it's a beautiful thing. And he's doing incredible things with his life since then. And, and he's got a great family. So all that said, it's time for me to stop talking. And Kurt, it's time for you to start talking, my friend. So welcome to the show, buddy. And uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, what, what you're doing right now, and then let's get into it. Um, yeah, it's really, I'm really happy to be here, Mike. Um, I love your grandmother. She has been a huge influence for me. And, um, and my mother really loved her sister. And, and yeah, we, we have a really good family. I've I've prayed a lot throughout my life, and I'm really grateful. I think we really come through just one of the choice families that God's placed on the earth. So I'm sure everybody thinks that, but hey, but I, we I, better, we better, <laughs> I think. But, but you know what? There's something to be said about that because Grandma Betty is like 95, what is she, 93 now, something like that. And she's got more energy than I do. I wish I could have some of it. Every time I see her, she smacks me and my wife. She smacks us on the butts and laughs at us and just like loves us. <laughs> but it's like the thing I love about the Gregson gene um, and the gene that you have through the Nielsen, your, your mom, um, is the laughter and the love. It's, it's like a loud, loving laughter that just reaches out, grabs people, puts your arms around them and pulls them in. Yeah. Yeah. You always knew when my mom and her sisters were around. I mean, they just loved, loved each other. So, yeah. So, um, it's been, it was really fun, uh, connecting with you and listening to your podcast. If anybody hasn't listened to it, please do. Um, and so I had also done a a podcast about two years ago on the Richard Osler's Listen, Learn, and Love. And, and the genesis of that was that I was, it was back in St. Louis at a conference called Revoice, which is sort of an evangelical version of North Star. And North Star is sort of a 
as you know, it's a, it's a group that was structured for faithful LGBTQ members of the church to try to find support and community. So Revoice is the evangelical um, sort of version of that. And, and I was there and, um, and just out of the blue, I, the spirit came to me in such a powerful way and said, I, I want you to share your story. So this was about two and a half years ago. And I think at that point, I had sort of come to the place like I felt enough seen and heard. I wasn't out, but I was out to some people, you know, my wife, my children, so, you know, friends here and there. And, you know, I'm thinking I'm doing great. In hindsight, I'm like, yeah, God, God had a really, it was an important plan for me to, to do what I did. But um, so he said, and I'm thinking, well, what's that going to look like? And he basically said, um, I'll tell you when and I'll tell you how I want you to do that. And so a few months later, um, the spirit came back to me and said, I want you to share your story on Listen, Learn, and Love. And so I reached out to Richard and we did that. And um, and that was a big thing. I mean, that was not only my coming out, but it was also my wife's coming out, <clears throat> you know, that she's married to a gay husband. And so that brought her, her own, you know, her own uh, challenges there. And I just kept saying, you know, honey, God's telling me to do it. I don't know if she believed me at the time, but, um, but uh, that's, you know, so that's what I did. And and it was interesting, you know, Mike, I had at the time, I just had this thought like this podcast, why God is asking me to do it is because, you know, I'm sort of this safe gay voice. I'm an active member of the church. You know, I attend the temple. I have callings. And, and I just thought, wow, I can be such a resource to my, you know, my leaders. And, and so I met with them and offered, and I just kept hitting brick walls, you know, brick wall after brick wall. And I'm coming up against their own fears and what does this mean? And is this going to cause division in our ward? And, um, and so after about a year, I'm just like, God, what was this about? You know, I was so confused because and I think God does that a lot in my life. Sometimes he'll just direct me and I then I want to put all the meaning in it. And he's like, hey, that's not what this means at all. <laughs> um, so, I mean, the cool thing was that was that as I prayed about it, um, I had the spirit come to me and say, the main reason I had you do this was for Mary, my wife. Wow. And, and I just thought, wow. You know, and, um, you know, and so when I look in hindsight is this was so destabilizing um, for Mary um, that it put her into therapy for the first time in her life. And I, and I know she's getting into therapy like, you know, how can I deal with this crazy gay husband who wants to come out and how that impacts me? But really her journey was that it began, she began to be able to look at her own wounds and, you know, her own shames and, um, and be able to grow in such a beautiful way so that she would have never done before, you know, would have done otherwise. In fact, she was able to, in her own way, come out of her closet of shame and fear and worrying about what people think. And, wow. um, you know, so 
you know, God is good. And, and I just, I keep learning that. Like what I think, you know, what I think is his, his reasoning behind things. It, it reminds me like my, um, my mother died when I was 22 of cancer. I'm sorry. And, um, and, you know, and I just had come home from my mission. I was home for about a year and she, she was really sick and, mm-hmm. And I, I was praying and I was like, God, what's going to happen? And then the spirit just said, everything will be okay. And, and I'm like, okay, you know, so I'm going to put the meaning around that. She's going to recover. She's, and a couple, a couple weeks after that, she, she had passed away. And, and, and I was like, you know, it just like was so confusing to me. And, and it was one of those other events that, you know, it's taken me like decades to understand, um, like, why God said it would be okay, you know, and how he has compensated um, in my life. I mean, he's brought just beautiful women into my life that have compensated for that loss. My wife, my, my daughter, my daughter-in-law, my new grandbaby, you know, little Eloise. And... And and I also realized I had such a close, maybe such a close relationship with my mom. Maybe at some point God knew for me personally that that was going to be sort of a stunting thing for me. You know that I that I needed to grow and and to um, and you know sort of stand on my own two feet. So so that's you know that's sort of um, you know where I'm at today. So I live in California. Got um, got three kids. Um, my oldest daughter lives in Salt Lake. She teaches school and where at? She's teaches at a charter school over in West Valley. Oh, how cool! And then she's getting a master's in sociology. She wants to be a therapist. Good for her. And um, my second son um, graduated with a bachelor and a master's from BYU, and he's uh, was accepted at the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia and he's working on his doctorate that's Matt right that's Jacob oh, okay so Jacob. Sam Jake and Matt right Matt. okay yeah and then Matt um, my youngest also lives in Salt Lake he had the joy of graduating from BYU right you know COVID yeah and so he's working there and and looking for now you know now things are opening up again yeah He's, you know, looking for, you know, other opportunities. But um, yeah, so I've been in California for 30 years, been married for 30 years, um, met my wife just right at like the second week I moved to California. Cool. And um, that was sort of a miraculous thing for me. And um, yeah, just been doing life. I'm a, my, my, I have a company that uh, we do garden maintenance for coastal high-end residential rich people along the coast oh how cool you yeah. got the green thumb i do i do <laughs> my mother had a really green thumb you know that's yeah i got i got the queer eye for that <laughs> so explain that to me what does that mean the queer eye yeah <laughs> there's a show that calls it you know the queer eye it just means oh queer yeah. eye i thought you said queer high i'm like what does that mean kurt i don't know that one yeah, queer eye. And, yeah, um, yeah. So that's cool. It's one of those one of those gifts my mom gave me. She loved her garden and her flowers, and and I always had such a. My mom was such a 
person of joy and and so a lot of the things that she loved and she loved me so I loved the things she loved and I've made a career out of it that's awesome you uh it sounds like your mom was that parent that you just you just clicked with yeah yeah and, and she was she was a type of mother that was probably the only space that my uniqueness was celebrated. Yeah. And um, where most of my other experience was like, no, your uniqueness needs to be collapsed into, you know, whatever the little narrow ranges of being a man or being LDS or whatever. But she was, because my mom was one of the like, hey, I love to develop talents and I love yes. to laugh and I love to do art and I love to be creative. Yes. And, and so, um, which was more of my heart. And so, yeah, she was extremely influential to me. You said something right there, Kurt, that I think is very important for all of us to stop and think about for a second. So God is love, right? We know that. And yet when you were growing up as a kid, the, the one person who embraced you and loved you and encouraged you for whatever it was that you were interested in, right? Whether it's art, whether it's music, whether it's anything. And, and I, I know that you felt like you had some loves that weren't the natural mold for men growing up. And your mom supported that and loved that about you, your creativity, right? And that's yes. love. That is love. That your, your mom is showing God in the way she's loving you by giving you that agency and also encouraging you in that. And I think, I don't know, I think there's something very special about that. And I think I, I, Henry Nguyen talks a lot about the um, who our heavenly father is and, and, he, and something he said that's very important. And I know you read a lot of Henry Nguyen. And so you'll, you'll remember this, I'm sure. But he talks about how, think about heavenly father. We know we have a heavenly mother for sure. We don't talk about her enough. But one of the things he even says about Heavenly Fathers, he says, look, God has characteristics that we look at on this earth as being belonging to the female, um, the, you know, obviously the female, uh, females, I guess I'll say. Um, but those are godlike characteristics. That's love. That's, that's a softness. That's a tenderness, a gentleness that he himself has. And I think on this earth, men need to develop those. We need to take some lessons from the women and quit, quit trying to be the tough and rough and, and that's that whatever, but like we need to be, soften up a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. I'm, I mean, something I've observed, if I look in my ward and I'm saying, who is the most of all the men that I know, who is the most exalted godly man I know? And it's interesting, I would say, I know, you know, I know exactly who I'm thinking about, mm -hmm. but I would say he has very typical gay traits. And, and so it's so interesting as men become more and more Christ-like, they begin to take on ideas and, and, and traits that are more typically what we would say, oh, that's, you know, that's more a typically gay or feminine trait. You know, so we see these men as more free and be able to express their emotions. Um, more free to be vulnerable, um, more kind, more gentle. And, and it's so interesting, the gays are just sort of born with those traits till we sort of get them squashed out. So we sort of start there till society 
says, oh, that's, you can't do that. You can't be that type of man. But it's, but if you watch the trajectory, men that start, you know, out in a sort of typical, you know, Western idea of what masculinity is, they end up with more of these typical, what we would say, gay tendent, you know, traits in the end. And, I, and I've, I've always found that so fascinating to me, you know. You know, and I think in the end, um, you know, say, and here's just an idea that maybe our role in exaltation as men, maybe we create, maybe we create the world. And I just, and I thought like, you know, we need every spectrum of masculinity in that, don't we? We need the, you know, we need the engineers, we need the chemists, we need the physicists, but we also need the gardeners and the artists because it would be a total flop. Yes. You know? so, yes. so my, one of my journeys is instead of, which I started originally, it was like, you know, what does it mean to be a man? And I kept trying to collapse my sense into like, I just need to do what men do. The typical man, of course, I'm trying to fit myself into a very wounded, broken concept of men that gets, you know, portrayed to us. And then, so the last few years, I'm like, no, I need to expand outward what it means to be a man. Yeah. You know, so it, it can include me. It can include my, I'm male, I, you know, I'm masculine, but I also love poetry and art and, you know, beautiful things and flowers and, and hey, I, you know, if God's going to, if we're going to do any good job of creating worlds in the next, you know, the next life, you know, if you don't have us, it's going to be a pretty, pretty sorry experiment, you know. Lots of football fields. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. No, but so, so take me, and I shouldn't have said that. I, I love football, but um, take me on this journey with you, Kurt. I, I want to hear all about it. You know, I, I love what you're saying right now. And I, I find as, as I, as I have been married to my wife, who is incredible, um, she's taught me as I've stopped and I've listened and I've, and I've, I've seen the, her ability to love. And it started with how she loved me. It's changed my heart. And Something that, and for those of you that aren't LDS, um, I know you're going to understand a lot of this conversation, but there are some things we'll probably talk about where I'll, I'll try and explain. But we, when we grow up as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we get what's called a patriarchal blessing. And it's, it's, it's what we believe is, is basically God sharing some of the, the traits with us of who we are, talking about some of the things futuristically in our life that will occur if, if we um, remain faithful. And one of, one of the things in mind that stands out like a sore thumb is it says that I need to learn how to be tender, a tender, loving um, husband and father. And I'll tell you what, Kurt, that uh, when things started out, I, I was far from tender and I still think I am far from tender. But as I've seen how her life, her, the beauty of her life, how she views things, how she goes about things, the way she loves people. And people who are different than her that belong to marginalized groups, my heart softened, and and it sure does feel like the right thing, and and I feel closer to Jesus Christ because of it. Mm -hmm. No, you know, I, I like what you're saying there. I, my wife um, of thirty years, I mean, she brings huge gifts into my life that I would not have otherwise. She brings a perspective. Um, a commitment to things. Um, she, yeah, she, she is an amazing, amazing person. Um, we do need that. 
You know, we need that opposite. But I guess one of my points was we also need that within our own sex, you know, um, instead of, you know, either like women get pushed into little boxes too. And, you know, I have my daughter-in-law who, you know, works full time and she feels like she doesn't have role models. Like really, what does that look like? Um, and yet, uh, you know, she, that's really something that, um, that, you know, is important to her to do. And it's a very deliberate decision of what she's doing. And so like, like role models in her career, right? So like, like yeah, women that, uh, love Jesus and work. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And not being judged like, oh, you know, you're not, you know, you must not really want to be a mother or, you know, be, be with your kids. You know, there's all these judgments and, yeah. and it's, you know, it's totally ridiculous. I mean, we need the full spectrum of, of men and women if we are going to, you know, be a Zion people, which is sort of an LDS concept, but, um, to be one heart and one mind, like let's, let's include everybody's heart. It's that body of Christ idea. It's, it takes, it takes all of us. We as, um, you know, we as a church, sometimes we were very selective and we would say, well, yeah, I need this part of the body, but I don't want this part of the body Mm. um, because this part might be messy or I don't get it or I don't understand it. And and definitely the LGBTQ members of the church um, for a lot of part of my life were just pretty much asked to leave um, because they didn't know what to do. And um, Carolyn Pearson, I think, was always very astute when she said, you know, we, you know, for all those years, we kicked them to the gutter and then we were surprised that they got dirty, you know. And, you know, instead of instead of having the idea like we need to create space, I mean, we have you know, there's a recent study that shows that um, over 13% of BYU students are identified as LGBTQ. So that's a bunch of people, you know, and four, maybe four to five percent of the church membership. That's hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people, and um, and we're at a loss, you know, if they go. I, I, it's not like a brain drain; it's like a heart drain, because anybody who knows has gay friends in their life, they know what unique qualities and, and, you know, their beautiful hearts. And if we just keep, you know, showing them the door, um, you know, we, we're all, we all are, we all are having, it's a loss for all of us. Amen to that. Now, now tell me, so, so take, let's, let's go back. I think there's a lot to talk about here and I, and I want to come back to this idea of the body of Christ, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that's a that's a awesome thing to bring up because there's so much conversation um, we can have around that and how important that is. But if you won't, if you don't mind, Kurt, let, let's go back to your life. So you come on for your mission, you get married to Mary, you, you you feel you feel these things within you. You're not you're not really letting them grow, if you will, because you're you're trying to almost push them back inside of you because of what what society is telling you a man should be you know you whether it's commercials or whether it's whatever whatever it is just back in the old days this is what a man this is what a man is defined you know these are the definitions of a man um regarding what they do in this world right that's kind of history just what what it's done so you're growing up um you get married to marry 
and, and, and I'm assuming you got married in the temple, correct? Yes. Uh-huh. And you have three kids. You now have grandkids. You only came out about two years ago, correct? Two, two and a half years ago? Yeah, to, just almost two years ago. And I would say I started, well, so when I was 44, I'm 60 uh-huh. now, I had this, just this really strong impression that I was in the exact middle year of my life. I mean, the spirit was just saying, okay, you've got you've 44, you've got 44. Boy, if that's not a midlife crisis, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and then the spirit just said, do you want to pull into the second half of your life the things that are causing you such grief and sadness? And, and I just like, no, I, I don't. So you had had a lot of pain up to that point in your life because you've had to hold that grief and sadness in there. Yeah. Um, I had been pretending to be a straight man for, you know, 44 years. And uh, which is a sense like, I can't really let you know who I am because I, I don't feel as safe. And I, and for a lot of my life, it wasn't safe. It literally was not safe. I mean, it's interesting for me. Yeah. I mean, just, you know, you just think what was going on, not even in religious circles, but just even the culture at at large. I mean, when I was young, I was considered insane. You know, I would have the diagnosis of being insane um, to be gay. And so, yeah, it just wasn't a safe thing. But the thing is, it's interesting God's timing because like when I'm 44, you know, 16 years ago, things were starting to shift a little bit. And um, so I, I put myself into therapy and my, my, my thought then was I can just get rid of this. Sure. Yeah. I work through this and, and make, make it leave, change yeah. my character. Yeah. I can do reparative therapy. Um, I can just get rid of it. If I just put enough time and thought and effort. And that was a belief. I mean, it, I wasn't making this up. It's like really what I was being told not only in religious settings, but even in the society at large, there was a, an idea that that could happen. And, and I began to, you know, go down those roads and I'm like, this isn't changing. And again, it was grace from God because he's at some point he's saying, yeah, you're not, this isn't going to change and that's okay. You know, okay. One of the most beautiful things about your story, and, and you, as you keep telling it, it's going to stand out even more, but you're staying connected to God through this whole thing. And he's taking you on this journey. And I think it's important that we actually like recognize that. Like, hold on. This is a man that is staying connected with God. He's praying. You're, ask, you're asking for guidance. Obviously, you're not going to pray to God and just continue to live how you want to live, but you're asking for his guidance. You're asking for his help. And this is the journey he's taking you on. That's powerful. Yeah. yeah and so I had this like dream. God teaches me in dreams. So, uh, so right around the time I'm 44, I have this dream. And <clears throat> in the dream, there is, there's Christ. And between us is sort of a hologram image of myself facing Christ. And then I'm standing behind the hologram image. Hmm. And it's the hologram image that's doing all the talking. And he's, yeah, he, he's praising Christ, you know, I love you, you know, I'm so great, you know, just beautiful, beautiful words. 
but I'm observing Christ. Christ is just getting sort of more and more irritated. And the more, yeah, more this hologram is speaking. And until mm. he says, I don't want, he goes, I want you. I don't want him. You know? And then he reaches through um, and the hologram disappears and he, you know, pulls me and grabs you. And, and that's sort of wow. the journey I've had to come to. Um, and it's been very God driven. Unfortunately, it wasn't religious driven. I mean, it should have been, but, but I just was so, I had created such a facade that I don't even know if somebody will try to get close to me that I could even get close to them. Cause it's a sense that I'm so broken and that there's something about me that is so bad and so unacceptable that I, you know, I can't let you see that. And so that dream was really pivotal oh. to me. It's like, okay, I don't know what the world will accept to me, um, but I know Christ, you know, he, he accepts me. And so from that point, so I did, you know, started working on things as therapy and I just began to slowly, you know, um, tell people that about my experience, you know, very controlled, and I felt God was, you know, leading me to very specific people. I had not shared with Mary that I was gay. So she was one of the first ones. Which is your um, wife. My wife. And subsequently, you know, as my children got older, each of them, um, I shared with, you know, what my experience was. And, you know, people in my ward. And I think I got to the place, yeah, that I was, you know, maybe that's okay. You know, that's, that's good enough. And that's when God said, no, I want you to, you know, completely do a podcast and come out. And he sort of really, he really drove how that would look and when and how. And, and, and I knew that he was behind that. And, um, and so, you know, so that, that, that's why I did it. And that's why I've been on really sort of a journey to understand what, what does it mean to be? Christian, what does it mean to love Jesus and to be gay and, you know, and to be in a society and, you know, among, you know, sort of a religious setting where those things just aren't, weren't really accepted, um, you know, most of my life. And, and I would say, you know, Mike, that probably when it all comes down to it for me, I think my biggest my biggest challenge today is the idea of belonging. And it's not, it's not even around belief, um, which I think surprises people because they think, yeah, if you're struggling at all, it's always around belief. But it, it, really, it really is around belonging for me. And, and, and I thought, I really thought that, that the way I was going to belong was people were going to understand my story. And they were going to want to hear me and I could speak. And, but then, you know, most of what I've received from my religious community is silence um, or a few one-off conversations that are never revisited. And, and that was, you know, that was because I was basing this idea of my belonging is going to be because you'll want to understand me. I mean, that really sort of threw me for a while. And then I realized, well, then it can't be the belonging isn't that, you know, it has to be something else. And then I would have people say, well, you know, all that matters is your relationship with Jesus. 
And I thought, you know, I love Jesus. I have a relationship with him. And I thought, if it's only about Jesus, then why do I need a, why do I need a religious community? I mean, what, what is that offering me? If you're telling me that this whole thing of belonging is just Jesus, well, I, you know, I, I'm always connected to Jesus. So then I thought, well, it's not that either, you know? And so, so when the, the pandemic hit, I've been sitting around for a year, just sort of contemplating that idea of belonging. And, and, and I started thinking about like my relationship in the church, you know, was it, is it positive? Is it negative? You know, what is it? Um, I started asking myself some hard questions and, and I had to realize um, that it, on the whole, it wasn't a positive experience for me. And, and I know why it was, I had the maturity to go, well, it's not that the people are beautiful and wonderful. It's like I was, I was put in this dynamics where, of course, I was going to come out of it I'm feeling I'm belonging because I couldn't show who I was. So even if somebody comes and said, I love you, it's like, I don't. How do you say that? You don't know who I am. You don't know any. You know, you don't know what I am. That's and powerful. You, yeah. yeah. And, if, and if you did, you wouldn't like it because, I, you know, growing up, it's like, People, for a lot of years, there was no space. So, so it was interesting, a couple, you know, about a month ago, I had just planned to watch church on Zoom and our, our ward had, our congregation had started meeting in person for the first time. And so I, I you know, I was, I think I was coming to the place like, I don't know if I'm gonna go back to church, you know? And because uh, I really, I like what's important to me is belonging. And, and I don't, I wasn't really feeling that. And so I had the spirit come to me and say, you know, get up, get dressed, you know, shine your shoes, dust stuff, stuff, your suit coat you haven't worn for a year and go to church. And, and, <laughs> and, uh, and I will. You shined your shoes, man. You're doing better than most of us. I did. I shined it. They were pretty dusty. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and and the spirit goes to me, um, you know, Christ came to me and I felt him say, I will manifest my love for you, to you when you go. And, you know, of course, that piqued my interest. And I'm like, and I have this idea, again, this idea, God told me something. And, and then I put in my head, like, oh, what? this is what it means. I'm going to have this huge spiritual outpouring of God's love. And, you know, and I hear that from different people, like, yeah, I had this experience and, and, uh, and I've, I've always known God loved me. And, and so I'm sitting there and there's a, a sister that I didn't know that had just moved in and she gave the talk and it's just this most vulnerable, beautiful talk. And she was talking about how she, when she was younger, got pregnant out of wedlock. And then she said something like, I don't know what I would have done if I hadn't been seen by my ward family and my family and not judged. She goes, yeah. I don't know where I'd be today. And then she said, and I was so grateful that, and I thought the maturity of this young girl, I was, she said, I was so grateful that I could offer a gift to some people that, that, you know, that they couldn't, you know, do for themselves. Yeah. You know, so I'm listening to her and, and I'm thinking, yeah, that's the message I was supposed to get. Well, it was just part of it. And, and so, 
you know, I'm thinking that's the message and <clears throat> that a friend asked me and I was sharing a little bit about it. And then it just dawned on me, like I had missed such a huge piece of that experience at that sacrament meeting. And then I it was then I just started thinking and I remembered like at the very end, I'm sort of sitting by myself. We're in our little pods, you know, with our masks on. And, and there's a sister behind me that goes, um, she asked me how Mary was doing. My wife had been really sick for about five weeks with. She got COVID. No, she got, she was septic and staph infection. Oh, man. She was in the hospital for like five weeks. Oh. And then during that, I get COVID. So I'm home all alone with mm. COVID for like three weeks and uh she is so this lady behind me just goes she goes it just, she goes it just broke my heart to think of you being home all alone and um and she said i want you to know i i've i was i prayed for you every day and um and then on the way out i i wear a a little rainbow gay pin to church and um and part of that, maybe maybe people are trying to be militant, but it's just me. I have such a tendency to want to go back into the closet, you know, because it's it's safe. You know, it feels safe sometimes. Yeah. So, so I put that pin on, and it's just a reminder for me, like you just need to be you. And and this this brother goes to me, oh, I love your pin. I love your pin. And so, you know, so I had this thought, Mike, like when I've thought about that is like I experienced what this lady was talking about in real time. I was being seen. I was not being judged. And, and I just thought that's how Christ wanted to manifest his love to me that day. And he could have done it the other way. But I think most of the time, that's why it's important we do have a ward and a community and a congregation, because that's what we're supposed to do. You know, we're yeah. two or gathered in my name. That's where I'll be. Yeah. That's how we, he wants us to bind together and be yes. one heart. And, and without, and that's what he was teaching me, you know, that my belonging um, is really comes through my community, my community and and my loving them and also me seeing them and not judging them and you know and, and do giving them all the gifts that maybe I would want more of and uh, so so I left that meeting um, and it, it was very profound for me like God had manifested his love to me in yeah. probably the most perfect way he saw you yeah he saw you and that's the coolest thing I, that two people, um, I mean, we, we know that God answers prayers a lot of times, oftentimes through other people. And the fact that two people came up to you and said, I see you in a way I see you. And, you know, one of them mentioned that they've been thinking about you as well, being all by yourself. And wow, what a, what a compassionate person that is. Um, I, there's something that you're saying right now that I, I, I just have to say, I've had on my mind for quite a while, this whole idea of, I am, I am. Well, who are we, right? It goes back to that dream you had. Christ is looking through a, um, you said a hologram, like you're standing behind this hologram of yourself and he, he's saying all these beautiful things and all the words that that we think God wants to hear. We know how to say, we know how to talk the talk, right? Mm -hmm. But But the person walking the walk is standing behind him. That's you. Mm -hmm. Christ sees you. I am 
he sees that am what you currently are. And that's what he wants. He wants you. And I, and I, I, I love the show, the chosen Kurt, have you seen it yet? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I met the guy that plays Jesus Christ and some of the other cast, they stayed at my hotel while they were filming and, and just, a, just great guys, just really cool guys. And their brotherhood is pretty phenomenal. A lot of them are Christians. Some aren't. Um, but it, so I love the show. I'm very connected to it. I like it a lot. Um, one of the, one of the parts of the show um, that happened in the second season, there's something that, that, that I'm going to say right here that applies to what you just said that I really loved. And it's the part where Philip and I believe it's um, Matthew are walking along the path and Matthew, we know Matthew in the show kind of has autism and, and just, he's a little bit different. And so he doesn't get along super well. Some of the other apostles kind of treat him unfairly and whatever. Um, And I think it's really cool how the director put it that like made it that way. It made it seem very much more real, right? Well, he's walking with Philip and he says something to Philip and Philip says to him, I was something else once too. Once you've met the Messiah, am is all that matters. I am. And I think that's the most beautiful thing. We're, yeah. we're, we're all beloved. We are all redeemed. We are all forgiven. But can you honestly say I am and, and live that am and put yourself in a place where he can find you? We know We know he can find us. We know that, but are we, are we putting ourselves in a place where you can find us like, like Henry Nguyen talks about quite often? Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's really challenging and you're never going to do it if you can't be vulnerable and honest to, you know, to what you are. And, and, and that's really scary because a lot of times 50% of the people around you don't want that. They want right. you to fit into a very certain mold of what, what they want you to look like. And, uh, and so it, it's a really scary thing sometimes. I, I have to, I have to ask you right here. Cause this is an important piece that I think we need to have some dialogue around. Do you think, and, and, and let's look at the, let's look at the culture of Christianity or the culture of the LDS church specifically, cause that's what you belong to. Kurt, do you, do you really think that there's people out there that are like, no, someone came out as gay. I want nothing to do with you because I'm not supposed to. Or do you think that's more of just the voice that we tell ourselves because the culture for so long hasn't understood the LGBTQ community? Do, do you know what I'm saying? I, 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 if, is that okay if we talk about that for a second where it's like, do you, do you really feel that those people like would come to you and say that to you? Or do you feel like it's more just the voice of the overall culture within Christianity or the church? Um. You know, we're going to talk about the here and now, because I think my answer might have been different several years ago. Sure. But I think my experience on the whole has been has been people very accepting. Um, I think they're very still very confused about what it means. and They don't really know how to approach it. And they're very awkward. And when people are are afraid they might say something wrong is they're not a lot of times they're not willing to engage. Um, the situation. Interesting. But, but I also, I mean, I had judgment. I mean, when I came out, there was one brother who, who just said, you know, how do you, you know, how, you know, how, you know, is, I can't remember exactly how he said it, but it was more like, you know, how dare you go to the temple and be gay? 
you know, and, he, and, 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 you know, my part of it, I mean, maybe instead of, maybe this is a good lesson for all of them, instead of me getting offended or angry or whatever, like, I just said, well, well, let's talk, you know, come over, let's sit down and talk. Good for you. And, um, and, and it was interesting because I said, yeah, let's talk. And he said, oh, I've already worked it out. And I said, well, what happened? And he said, well, I've talked to a lot of people and, and, and now that I realize since you've never acted out on it, that it's okay, you know? And I said, first of all, I've never said I haven't acted out on it. I mean, I mean, I haven't, but that's not part of my dialogue. You're making assumptions. You're making huge assumptions. And, uh, and even if I had, do we not believe in the atonement? Do we not believe in repentance and forgiveness? And so anyway, as we talked, I, <clears throat> I think he was just more come to understand. And it's interesting because he was a younger guy. And it's like, I would have expected that from maybe somebody older. Um, but I, you know, I have beautiful, I've had some beautiful experience. There was a guy that came over and he just wept. He was sitting in my house just weeping. And I said, you know, what, what are you crying about? And he said, I just, you know, thinking about how hard your life has been, you know? Right. So that kind of compassion or a, or a guy sitting by me in priesthood and didn't even say anything to an older guy. And he just reaches over and holds my hand, you know, for 10 minutes. He's never done that before. That is really cool. And it's Man. his way of saying, maybe I don't know what to say, but I want. I'm here. I'm I see here. You. And I want you to know that. I yeah. want you to know that. So, yeah, we, you know, we have some work um, to do, but I. That's awesome, Kurt. Like what, what, a, who, what a cool guy. To just re and I, I mean, how awkward that must have been for you, like, uh, sir. But no, like that's that. Just reach over and just grab your hand and hold your hand. You know, I don't know that I'd be brave enough to do that. I think I'd scare the crap out of someone doing that. But that is, <laughs> that's really cool that that somebody did that. And the other the other person, the other gentleman that came and sat with you, you know, that's how Richard Osler got started on his journey. Is is he had someone that he was a leader over that was gay and he didn't know what to say and how to work with them, but he wanted to love them because that's what Christ does. So he reached out to his, uh, someone he knew in high school that was gay, went and sat down and, and sat to listen, not to talk, to listen. Yeah. And our leaders have a big problem. They want to talk. They want to solve. They want to think fix. and fix. And that's not, especially for us that have been closeted for a long time, can you imagine just sitting and not being able to speak for decades and all that you want to say? And, and I think one thing that people can really, what a gift to give to gay people in your life is just say, tell me, tell me about your life. Tell me what this experience has been and not have it just be a one-off. Yeah. Like just keep talking until they're like, okay, I'm done. You know, I, I've, I guess I've said all I want to say. Um, and that's a beautiful gift. And you don't really have to be an expert. You just have to listen. Um, and be awkward. Be awkward at first, right, Kurt? Because if I came to you and I was like, hey, man, just talk to me. Like, I, I want to understand. I want to know. I want to know more about you and, I, and like what you've been through. Like, I know there's pain. There's hard, the hard moments in your life that you have had, feeling ashamed and as an outcast and all this stuff talk to me, like, help me understand it. Wouldn't that, like, even if it was awkward, but that's the message they were relaying to you, wouldn't you be like, oh yes. Like, I love it. Like, let's, let's talk. Yeah. And I think what you'll find out is 
as somebody listens, they're like, yeah, I've, I've felt marginalized in areas of my life. I yeah. felt shame. I have yep. felt fear. I have had doubt. And so it, so the, the field begins to level out. I, you We're know, a I, lot more similar than we are different. That's the thing. Cause we, we don't are, want, you know, gay people don't want to engage members and have the members think they're in this superior position to them. Like, oh, okay, I'll listen to you. you You're trying that. to take over our callings. Yeah, <laughs> you know what? You can have it. I'll, I'm good. I'll yeah, just clean the ward on Saturday. Yeah, pat us on the head and say, you know, it sucks to be you, but, um, you know, that's, I, we, that, you know, that power dynamics needs to, you know, needs to go away. The whole, the whole thing, the, the whole thing. There, there should be none in a true church full of service and full of volunteers for crying out loud disciples of Christ. You know, we, we've got to learn to set our egos aside and, and realize what it's all about. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay. So, I mean, this is, this is just incredible. So was it hard for you once you, once you got to the point where you started to talk about it as you went and you started, you said you started to talk to leaders, you started to talk to, some people were, I mean, obviously in, in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, you've got to answer questions for a temple recommend. Tell me some of those experiences, like maybe, maybe Kurt, for some someone who, let's say, is LGBTQ that is just starting to find their foothold and starting to have courage to talk about it in their own life that's a member of the church. What are what are your um what's your what's your recommendation what's your counsel to them encouragement to them as they go through that process of opening up to maybe some leaders or to some people that just don't you know don't accept it yeah and this is going to be a little counterintuitive and this just comes from a hard lesson myself but i don't know if going to a leader is the first thing you should ever be doing right some worthiness thing because they have sort of a unique role. It's like, they're the gatekeepers, you know, and you can easily feel like, hey, I'm telling you about my life. And if they want to start talking, well, just so you understand, this is what we teach. And this is what the doctrine is. You begin to feel like they're sitting inside the house, holding the door, you know, and they're making this judgment if you're going to be able to come in. And so I don't know if I would have, you know, I don't, I don't know if I would recommend that. Um, Good point. Because I think that we have this sense like, and I had this sense like, hey, I'm going to go to my leaders and they'll be the ones that will affirm me and accept me and understand me and help me belong. And yet they, they, a lot of them have a hard time. They put their other hat on as judges in Israel or whatever. Um, I mean, I had one leader, I just said, hey, I don't, I really struggle with belonging and then I get this list of more things I need to do, you know, and, mm. and that's not helpful for me. And what, what do you mean that go back to that? So does that mean more things that you need to do to change? Yeah, not, not change my orientation, but like, Oh, are you praying every day? Are you reading your scriptures? So it's this litany of things. Like if you're doing this list, then you're, of course you're going to belong. Yeah. And instead of like, well, why don't you feel like you belong? In fact, in the end, he said, well, I, you must not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, else you would think you belong. And um, again, you know, a wonderful man on every other aspect. It's just ignorance, you know. And so 
I think you really need to use the spirit and and begin I, to open yourself up to people that you're led to. And and I don't necessarily know it's going to be your leader. It could be. I mean, we have this beautiful stake next to us, and the stake president has been a huge advocate for LGBTQ yeah. members. He's created ally groups. He created family home evenings. His counselor in one of his stake young men's counselor is an openly gay man. I mean, he he has high, he has high councilmen that are gay. Yes, and and so, but that not that might not be your situation. In fact, it probably isn't. You know, for but there are beautiful people in your midst, and you know them. I mean, I we know who they are because it's those people we already have a spark with. Yeah. And so we know, and and I think those are the areas where we start. Um, and yeah, so I think, unfortunately, our leaders can be sort of a could be a stumbling block at times. Well, and and you know, I, I think a lot of it's just because they probably haven't gone through that process of really listening, learning, and loving themselves, right? And 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 so and so sometimes as leaders, we wait for the messages to come down from the top of the church, but it's like, hold on. We know, we know who leads the church. We know Jesus Christ. We know he's the leader of the church. And, and anytime you study him and you study his life, you tell me one time when he went and he pushed somebody out to yeah. the outskirts. Never. I mean, he cast out spirits, out, bad spirits out of a stuff. And they went to a pig, <laughs> pigs. He pushed, um, out, he pushed, pushed out leaders quite a bit. Yeah. Le- yeah. <laughs> that and, and, that well, should be humbling. That should be really humbling. Isn't that interesting? And, and, and it's not that he necessarily pushed them out, but he did, he, he did chastise them in, in a way. And it's like, because they weren't living the spirit yeah. as much as they were relying everything upon the law, which, you know, the law is important. We, the, we, he taught the law. And so the law is very important. We understand that, but if we're missing out on the spirit of the law and, and more importantly, if we're missing out on the first gr- and the, the first two greatest commandments, love God, love all others, our judgment, he doesn't say to us, judgment belongs to you as well. So make sure you're judging everybody. No, we're not, we don't have, we're not, we're, we're too weak. We don't know it enough. We don't have all the information. We never will. We've never walked in somebody's shoes. Only he has. And yet he loves, he loves unconditionally. He goes to the sinner, wraps his arms around him, gives them their worth, brings him in, pulls them to the table. Yeah, and, and, I, and, and that's I, what he did for you. Yeah, absolutely. And I've had these impressions like God telling me when I'm opening up my treasure room of my heart to God. And, and just being very honest with him, I always feel God say, which is so interesting, he says, I am going to remove my shoes because I am now on sacred ground. You know, so, and that's the God we, you know, that's the God I've had to come to understand. I mean, that's cool. I grew up believing God, really, I needed to chase after him for attention. I, you know, he was always going to be disappointed <laughs> in me. Um, I, I've always, I swear most of the time I grew up, I would picture God and his back would be to me. Yeah. And, and it's like, okay, you know, can I say something can I do, do, you know, cause there's a lot of things I can do and maybe you'll give me some attention. And I was listening, I listened to this uh, podcast. It's a Catholic priest and he is um, reading the Bible in a year. And then he comments on just different passages and 
it was really beautiful. And this was a really big piece for me too, because he was talking about the difference between a contract and a covenant. And he said that, you know, a contract is an exchange of good and services with a condition. So you promise to do something, I promise to do something, but if you if you don't do it, then I'm not bound. Right. Um, and, but then he gave a definition of covenant I don't think I'd ever heard. And I think I've conflated my whole life, the idea of contract and covenant, because he said a covenant is the exchange of persons without condition. So it's this idea, I will be your God and you will be my people. And, and there's no conditions there. He's, what he wants to do is always first is establish the relationship between us and him. That's way before the rules and the commandments. Now, eventually, once that relationship's established, he's going to give the Ten Commandments. He's going to do this. And the whole purpose of those is I'm going to give you these rules. And their whole basis is to strengthen and deepen the relationship that we already had, you know? And this Father Mike said, otherwise it's rules without relationship. And I thought that my whole life, it's like, I had that completely backwards in my life. It's like, hey, if I can obey the rules, I'm gonna start there. And maybe that's just the nature way we're sort of brought up in religious communities. And so about the rules and the commandments. And uh, if I can do that really, really good, then the relationship, then God will love me, you know, and it'll be based on how good I obey the rule. God already does love you. And, uh, and then I just realized, well, you know, you can never win that game because I can never be perfect <laughs> in the rules and commandments. So then there would always be this sense that God has some disappointment or he can't completely love me, you know, and I'm putting that all on myself. And that just that idea that this covenant, this relationship between us doesn't have conditions, that it's about love. And so if somebody, you know, is LGBT, they don't know if the church is, is a healthy place for them to be. I'm always like, you know, what's the most important thing? It's your relationship with God. Yeah. You yeah. know, and start there. And I and I think that scripture, if you love me, keep my commandments, was always sort of grating to me because I'm like. I don't, I'm not perfect keeping your commandments. So it's this condemnation that I'm not loving you. That, And I think it's really true. If we don't love God, if we don't have that relationship, then we cannot, we're always going to fail at the commandments. But if we have the relationship, we're going to really be drawn to be obedient, to keep the commandments, because we know they're the fence, they're the boundary that sustains the relationship. So sort of a big piece for me. That's awesome. I, I agree with you hundred percent. I, you know, I, and I look to the, I look to the idea of um, relationship with God and, and even the idea of repentance. Um, my, my tone on repentance has changed a lot. I understand what it is when I make major mistakes in my life. Yeah. There's some, there's some changing I need to make. Right. But like, I, I found myself repeating in my prayers often. Um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, help me to be a better man. Help me to be a better person. And and that became something that almost became a part of every single prayer I'd say. And finally, one day I stopped myself and I'm like, what am I doing? Like God, God knows me. He knows everything about me and he loves me. 
And why am I just going to him and apologizing all the time for who I am? Like, like I'm, I'm so ashamed of who I am. He created me. I'm so ashamed of who I am. I'm apologizing to him, the creator of me, um, putting me down here on earth at this time, this very place with all this stuff around me, he knew I was going to be going through. And here I am saying, I'm sorry you created me. Then no, 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 that doesn't work. So all of a sudden my tone changed and I started to say, God, I love you. Help me to understand your will. Put me where you want me to be, when you want me to be there. Surround me by the people you want me to be surrounded by. Help me to say the right things. Help me to do the right things. Help me to find people there that I can serve. And, and just when I open my mouth, please put the right words in my mouth because I'm not good at that. And I'll tell you what, Kurt, that's been to me, that's a form of repentance to me is just to say, I trust your will for me. Put me in it today. I'm not going to ask you step by step what your will is for me every single day. I don't think I need to do that. We have a better relationship than that. We're, we, we, we're in constant. I'm open and he knows I'm open. He knows I'm ready. I'm, I'm ready whenever. But I think part of my repentance process was get to the point where I stop apologizing for everything that I am. He created me. He knows me. I've made myself available to him and I ask him for his guidance. And I trust that for that day, the right thing happened. Now, am I, am I perfect? Is everything perfect in my life? No, but like, yeah, you know, the, the things that I need to apologize for, I do. But at the same time, like, I don't need to apologize for who I am. He created me to be me. And that's who I'm going to be, but I'm going to ask him to guide me along that way. And, and to me, that's, that's been a game changer for me because now I feel so much better about myself because I know, I know he loves me for exactly who he made me to be. And I'm grateful for that. Yeah, that's so beautiful. Um, remind me of this uh, dream I had once, and it was sort of on the idea of, you know, I stand at the door and knock. Yes. And, um, so in the dream, I'm inside and Christ is out there and I want him to come in. You know, it's like, oh, my gosh, Christ is here. And then I open the door. But then I <laughs> then I look behind me and it's like my house is like a hoarder's house. <laughs> it's just like stacked with just boxes. And Christ is like, you know, can I come in? Let's sit down. And I'm like and I get really sad because I'm like, I, there's no place to sit down. Let's go outside and sit on the bench. Is that yeah. cool? <laughs> and he says, no, look in the very center. There's a little place. And so we like shimmy down these, you know, these little alleys. And in the very center, there's just this little space for just big enough for me and him to sit down. And I'm sitting next to him and he looks around and it's just sort of amusement on his face. You know, he's just like really curious. I remember that was in the dream. He's just so curious. He's just looking around. And then all of a sudden he goes, you know what, Kurt? And I knew what was what was representative of the hoarder. It's my shame, my sin, you know, all these things. And he said, you know, Kurt, at the bottom of all this is just your desire to be loved. Yeah. And that and that was that was him. That was Christ. It wasn't of like, and he said, you know, let's open these boxes. Let's let's look at them together. You know, let's shine some light in them. And that's the type of savior I have come to really love. And, and I, I was like you, it's like, I'd make a mistake, God forgive me. And what I would find out just so fascinating to me, I would almost feel like almost in, instantaneously, yeah, I forgive you, you have a good heart. And, yeah. you know, and then it's like, move on, you know, yeah. there's, 
we want to talk about really important things. And, and he's just like, yeah, yeah, okay, I forgive you. Now, you know, let's, let's, let's get on to some important stuff. That's right. Don't just stay here. Let's go. Like you can, you can, you can understand that, that you're forgiven and, and let's go forward together. Take my hand and I'll take you on a journey. I'll take you on this journey with me. That's what he all, does. Yeah. And all that confirmation that I know your heart. I know you have a good heart. I gave it to you. I, I, I gave it to you. <laughs> and he's known us. I mean, we're veiled. He's not veiled. He knows our whole, you know, relationship that we've had with him for eons of time. So he, our heart gets sort of hidden from us and sort of closed because of the world and our wounds and our brokenness. But he, we are no mystery to him. You, you, you tell me in the scriptures where it tells you that this isn't Christ himself. It's not, this is him. This is his nature. It's love. Yeah. And he goes around and he does that. And that's what he, that's, that's who he is. And as you study him and you understand that and you learn of his life, that's the savior. And that's, and that's why there's some, that's why there's some friction, I think, is it's like, well, wait a second. We're supposed to treat, we're, we're, if you're this way, if you, if, if you identify as one of these marginalized groups, you're, you're not supposed to belong somehow to Christ and his body. No, that's not true. That's not true at all. Um, by any, by any means. And so we, we've got to, we've got to change the narrative there. And that doesn't mean we need to rewrite the commandments. That's not what anyone's trying to do. So that's first and foremost, something that people need to, we need to be okay with understanding, like no one's trying to change the commandments. We're trying to change love. We're trying to change people who are hurting and we need to wrap arms around them for who they are and bring them to the table of Christ because Christ commanded us to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's, yeah, I, I agree completely with that. Um, we were talking a little bit earlier that, and I just mentioned that, you know, these marginalized groups and the LGBTQ are the marginalized to the most marginalized that we really are the canary in the mine um, for the church because if we are going to be a Zion people, which is what we're told, that we have to become a Zion people to receive Christ when he comes again. And one of the biggest, one of the biggest things we know as a Zion people, because it said that we have one heart and one mind. And until yeah. we and until we can include these marginalized groups, um, and, and instead of ostracizing them or ignoring or pushing away, it's like we will never be able to receive Christ because we are not a Zion people. You know, we are an elitist group that, that says, hey, um, you know, if, you're, if you fit in this mold, then you belong. And if you don't, and that was not Christ's message. Yeah. I mean, everybody yeah. went to, he didn't even really bother with the mainstream he was always out chasing that crazy sheep that always was running away. <laughs> yes. Thank goodness he was, man. If he didn't, I don't know where I'd be right now. So that's that's beautiful. That idea of the body of Christ in Zion, though. I mean, if if and and like you said before we started recording, um, if we can't get it right for the most marginalized groups, we're never gonna be a Zion-like people. Now think about that for a second. That's incredible. 
Because what that is, is going out and reaching out to those who feel as outcasts, feel like they don't belong. They, they feel unloved. And that's what this gospel, that's what Christ's gospel is all about. Find the downtrodden, find the hurting, find the ones that are suffering and in pain and bring them in and help them understand their worth, point them to God because God's going to let them feel that, but, but open that door and, and let them believe that they can because society, this world's never going to allow that for people. That's not the way this world works. It's the, it's the trial of, of this world is faith, right? Faith. And then are we willing to love and help? And, you know, Kurt, the way you put that is the, the body of Christ and that whole idea of Zion and, and where did Christ go when he was alive? Exactly what you said. He went to those in the marginalized groups. He went to those who were outcast, downtrodden, um, pushed out, and he grabbed them and he brought them in and he taught people around in the church. This is what it's all about. And, and, and the idea of Zion, as if we live the Zion, the idea of Zion, it would, it would go a long way in holding on to our LGBTQ people um, because the idea of Zion is we're all family. Yeah. And, and, and we're not, and it's not this um, like, oh yeah, there's tiers of family, you know, the most big, the most important ones, my nuclear family, and then everything falls down below. So the idea of Zion is like, if we're asking, if we're literally asking a, a gay member to live a celibate life, we are not, but at the same time, what we've done um, historically, we've also asked them to live a lonely life mm-hmm. and an isolated life. And, you know, maybe God will take care of that. Well, that's not God's plan. That's not the body of Christ. So the idea is we have to expand our idea of what it even means to be a family. And it's not just this core nuclear family it's like we expand. I think we're putting nuclear families just to learn a concept, not to make it the end all. We're supposed to say, okay, I've learned what it means to love and nurture. And now I throw out those boundaries to include the marginalized yeah. because their life, we have to have intimacy in our life to, you know, and the relationships to thrive. And if, and if somebody literally is going to choose because of their spiritual beliefs to not get married, you know, to live the gospel, then it's our responsibility. And we're the ones that will be held accountable if we don't open up and say, well, then we're family, you know? And I mean, there's, we have so many, I know stories of gay people that, you know, it's like every Sunday, you know, I'm not, this is where you'll be every Sunday for dinner. I know gay people that live with other families or the godparents to their children and they buy homes together. And, you know, it's like learning to, like, expand that idea. Otherwise, how can we ever meet this idea of being a Zion people? And it really goes through what we already know. Like, yeah, we become family, the body of Christ. It's a family. And I have to believe that's what exaltation is. I don't believe there's a hierarchy of love in exaltation. <laughs> I mean, how could there be? Wouldn't it just negate the idea of Zion? if? Well- my love is greater than yours. I, I, I have a capacity that's higher than yours. Like, come on. Yeah. Like, how would you ever measure that? But if I, if I really want to be exalted, I think that's the rule. It's like the person that's standing next to my wife and children 
if I am not loving them as intimately and deeply and with my full heart, then I am not worthy. I have not met the definition of what it means to be exalted or be a Zion people. And yet we get this idea like, oh, no, it's just going to be me and my little family. And I'm like, well, God probably has another place where you can do that. <laughs> but I don't think it's exaltation because that's what exaltation is, Zion. It's just, it's almost like we're all married together. Yeah. I mean, it just is unified. There's no hierarchy. We're married to Christ. We're married to God, our heavenly mother, each other. And that's what the ceiling is. You know, we forget, like we focus so much on our ceiling to our spouse, but that ripples all the way out. And to think, hey, my ceiling to my wife is, 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 is more important or deeper than my ceiling eventually to you, Mike, no. then, I, then I am not living, how could I be living a Zion world? And I think even, even that understanding, I think, could help a lot of people that are worried about, well, what's exaltation going to be like? Because we, yeah. in this life, we're like, well, okay, we've made your earthly life so lonely and isolated. And so their idea like, well, I'm going to go and just be around with a lot of nuclear families where I was completely ignored here. No. You know, does that happen to me? No, that's not happen to nope. me. Not at all. And, and the, just the idea that like, Hey, look, I'm sealed to my family for time and all eternity. So I have to be around them for time and all eternity. Man, I don't know that I, I really am excited about that. That means my, my kids are stuck with me like always forever. That's nah. I mean, it's, you're exactly right. We're all children of God. And, and um, now I understand uh, I'm going to be with my wife forever. And I'm so excited about that, but that doesn't mean I'm going to be with her every second for eternity. That's crazy. That's crazy talk. I mean, it's, this is a bigger and broader, more broad um, family than that. And you're exact, you're nailing it, Kurt, you're right on the head. And that's why we need to reach out. We, we've got to start paying attention to, to some of these people out here that are, are just feeling like outcasts and feeling downtrodden. And Kurt, you've been there and your journey is amazing. And, and your voice is so important because you're doing a work for God to bring love to um, some of his children who have not felt loved and, and honestly felt outcast. So I, I just encourage you to continue to open your mouth. Let's get to, I, I think we've, I think I've had you for a long time this morning and, and I appreciate everything you said. Let's, let's get to a, a couple final thoughts if that's okay. Is that all right? Absolutely. Yeah. So tell me, I, I think first and foremost, Kurt, I want to tie this back to delight a little bit in the minds of, of us that, you know, the listeners, um, because that's so important for me is what, how has everything that you've been through in your life, the hardest, the most, when you were in those places of shame, those dark times, um, the times that you just didn't feel any worth in your life and you, and you thought you had it all wrong, right? I think we've all felt that way before. Like we're wrong. Everybody else is right. What's wrong with me? Kind of a thing. What's the gift you received because you went through those experiences? Well, and everybody's going to get here a different way, but I think, you know, for me, I got to the place where I realized that the hardest things in my life were really the things that God had used to save me. Um, because how otherwise would I even begin to delve into what we've talked about? Like, what does it mean to belong? You know, what does it mean to, to follow Jesus? Um, you know, what, what is, you know, what is it that I really desire? And, 
And if I just lived in this little perfect world um, that I had everything I wanted and I just fit so neatly in, I don't know why I would even, it wouldn't even cross my mind. Like, um, like do, I wouldn't even think about marginalized people because it would be so far away from me. All you'd be thinking about is how to protect it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So it it doesn't go away. Yeah, it doesn't go away. And so... So my experience with with God is like, it's just been a carefully orchestrated experience for me to to come to know him. And it's his way of of just, you know, breaking that stony heart down. Because I, especially as an LGBT person, I don't have a neatly laid out doctrinal path back to God. And so, well, what do I do with that? Well, I can just jettison the church. I can jettison my faith and just say I don't fit. Or what I have done is like I go to God, like teach me. Like teach me what my path is. Like what is our relationship? Um, What is our covenant together? And so, so I have been able to develop ideas of faith and belief and trust that I would have never never been able. And I think God will get all of us in different ways. I mean, he's going to use different avenues for each of us. But uh, for me, he, he must have known my personality. There's something about me and the pre-mortal life. And he's given me a couple ideas of what I might have been like there. And, um, and there's something about these experiences that are, are needed. I mean, absolutely needed for me. And, and over time, I mean, I'm grateful I've lived long enough to begin to understand a little bit more and more like, why is it I needed to? And I can go, well, yeah, absolutely. I, this was a perfect, perfectly orchestrated experience for me. That's all. He, It's so customized too to what we all need. That's the beauty of it. I love that. Um, thank you for sharing that with us, Kurt. I, I, I'm proud of you, my friend, your family. I mean, you're, you're more than just, we're all family, but your family, um, we got some of the same blood. So, um, really proud of you and just keep opening your voice. I've got, I've got another question for you that just popped into my mind. Um, how do you, as, as something like this happens to somebody, a lot of times, and, and when I say like this, let me let me define that a little bit. When you belong to a faith, um, you're a part of it. You've got to you've got to live certain standards, live a certain way to not listen. If if someone wants to drink or smoke or whatever and come to church, then they should. Amen. Like they should be there and they should have space there. But um, so it's not like we have to keep all the commandments to actually go to church. That's not the point. But when you are, when, when you are identify as LGBTQ, that is a, that is a space that for LGBTQ that you would say is, is unsafe for you in the church, correct? Yeah. I mean, it's, um, what is it that uh, the statistics are that religious kids that are gay are five times more likely to commit suicide? Um, And the more religious they are, it increases their chance of suicide by 38%. So yeah, that, that's just sort of what we're, you know, what we're faced with right now. And how awful, like how, how awful do I feel personally right now to understand that and to know that I'm not doing more 
as a as someone who loves Jesus Christ with all of my heart. And these and these yeah, and these religious kids um, that are gay. By the time they recognize in themselves, I'm gay. It's five years typically before they even tell anybody. Mm -hmm. And you have to think like, okay, there's this little kid who's twelve or 13, and they're holding that in. And you just think of what's going on in their life and what's going around them and their faith and church and what they're being taught. And, and they're sitting there for five years, completely alone, you know, completely trying to understand this. Um, and of course, the culture will give them some idea of, of what that should go. But I think, you know, we, if we think of what we do with our straight kids, we completely scaffold around them. We're like, Hey, you're going to feel this and, and we're going to help you learn how to shepherd this experience, your sexuality. And, you know, we're going to talk a lot about it. And you're, we're, you know, we're going to do church dances and, um, and yet you get this, you know, this little gay kid who's sitting there for five years with no guidance, no anything. And you can imagine, it was my experience. He's going to hide. He's going to feel a tremendous amount of shame depression, suicide, isolation. I mean, that's sort of what we got going on. Um, so Kurt, why, why did you decide once you knew this was you, I mean, you, you, you knew it for a long time, but why did you decide to stay? What is it about that? Well, God just preempted everything for me. So when I was, when I had just got on my mission, um, and I thought this was everybody's experience. So I had, was praying to know if the church was true. And I can only describe my experience as like Pentecostal. I mean, it was just, <laughs> I mean, it's just so, you know, and I'll hear, and I just think, oh, that's what everybody's experience was. And then I'll hear people, and it's, I think I've never heard anybody have an experience like I had. And, and I, as I thought about that, it's, again, God knows me, knows my heart, and he knew that he was going to have to put something in such intensity and so bright that it would cement me to my faith. I share that with you. We'll talk about that off, off mic. Okay. And so, you know, so that's been, that's been the thing, that it's so bright. Those experiences were so bright. And this compensating nature of God, how it was led to marry, a career, so many other things in my life. It's like they're so bright that in, in comparison to the dark or the pain or the shame or the depression, it's like they're just, it's like the sun trying to squash out a, you know, a, a grape. It's just... Yeah. And that was God. That, again, grace, gift. I don't know why he doesn't do it to everybody, but I can't sit here and ever deny what I know. Now I can have problems like I was talking about, a belonging and how do I fit into my church? But the, the belief side has always been really solid for me because of him, because yeah. he gave me that gift. And now he's, I think he's basically saying, okay, you know, enough of that. Like, let's figure out this belonging part and this covenant part and our relationship part. Yeah. And I think that's where he's moving me right now. I love it, Kurt. I, I feel like you're the kind of guy, um, and I'll, I'll kind of backtrack for a sec. I, I tell my kids when we go to church on Sunday, no kid wants to go to church. When you, when you say to your kids, hey, kids, it's time to get ready for church. No, no, most, sorry, I shouldn't say no. 
most kids are going to be like, Oh, I don't want to go to church today. Dad, you know, they're young. They just getting dressed up in the clothes is kind of a pain in the butt. Sometimes we've all been there. Um, but I remind my kids, you know, why do we have to go to church? Why do we go? I don't say we go because we have to go sit in the class and we have to sit and learn. I remind my kids, Hey, look, the reason why your dad goes to church is I am trying to show my heavenly father that I put him above all else in this world. And this is my way of doing that. Um, is it perfect? No, nothing on this earth is perfect, but does it give me the opportunity to serve like Christ does and get to know my community better than anything else? Yeah, it does. And, and as I go, as I show up and and as I partake of the sacrament, it's a very sacred thing to me. And I, I know I feel Christ and and I love him and and it just what it does I I make space for him and that to me uh is so important and and I I I hope my kids can walk away um from their home one day from from mom and dad's home and remember hey my dad would always say going to church it's not necessarily about all the things and just whatever it it was, it was a time to show God how much we loved him and how grateful we are for him. And, and keeping that mentality in our lives can take some of these things that cause a little friction and we can bounce, we can, we can shake them off. Right. And just go on loving somebody. Right. I think that's the, that's the key. Sometimes we don't need to sit and dwell on what we're not doing good enough and what we are doing so well. Who cares? Let's let's focus on loving. Are we loving people? And I think we... you, I think you frame that like beautifully for your kids because you're framing why I do a commandment or a rule because you frame it in the relationship that you have with God. And I think that's where sometimes in parenting we make a mistake. It's like why we don't well because that's what we do and no. that's a commandment. Not a good enough answer. <laughs> yeah, and it's like then. But, and I think, especially these younger kids, that those, maybe that's the way I could be brought up. Um, but these younger kids are not going to accept that idea that it's, that my faith is just based on rules. And, and I, I'm so proud of you. It's like you're beginning to teach your kids, it's based not on the rules. I do what I do based on my relationship. And I keep the rules because they strengthen and deepen my relationship with God. And that's really the secret. I think that's the secret of holding our young kids um, into our faith. I really do. I agree with you. And and Kurt, I I love the way, I love the way life has unfolded for you. It's a beautiful process. It hasn't been easy. It's never easy for any of us, but it's, it's, it's a beautiful process. And if that's okay, I just I I want to read that quote that I read one last time. Um, and and before I do that, I just want to ask: Is there anything else that you feel like you want to share? Um, and this was just a thought, and I it came up to me when I was thinking about general conference. Um, and I and I think it would help a lot of LGBT people. It's just this line that L, President Irene gave, and he's talking about the temple. And I don't know if I've ever heard a general authority say this before, because we act like we know, we know what exaltation looks like. Uh And here we have an apostle quote saying, we don't know the details of family connections in the spirit world or what may come after we are resurrected. And I I think it does a disservice, disservice to a lot of times 
for LGBT people is when members get so didactic, like we know, you know, this is, a, this is what it's gonna be. It's all nuclear family. This is the way spirits are created. And we don't know, we don't know. And, and I just thought that was beautiful. President Irene Apostle finally saying, yeah, we don't know. We know probably more than most people, but it's just this little tiny dot that we look through and God, for whatever reason, that's all he's shared with us. And I think that humility is really important. When yes. we just say, I don't know. I don't know. Yes. You know, I know that God loves us like Nephi. I don't know the meaning of everything, but I know that God loves his children. And I, and that's, and that's, I think can be very comforting for us when we communicate with LGBT, when we, as soon as we start being didactic and say, well, I do know. And it does. And of course that doing, I know is always saying to them, well, I'm not included. Am yep. I? I'm, I'm not, not, I'm not invited to that party. I'm not safe there. Yeah. You know, and, and that's, that's why, that's why I go. That's why I go because I love God. I love him. He saved my soul. You know, I've, I felt Christ reach for me in my darkest moments when I didn't want to be here anymore. Didn't want to exist. I go to, sh I go to give him room in my life. And because I know the church, um, gives me opportunity to, to serve and get to know and, and lift people up. And I believe it belongs to him. And so I will give him space. And no matter what questions I have in my life, I'm okay because I'm grateful for Christ. I'm grateful for what he's done for me. And I feel that same thing from you, Kurt. You're a great man. Um, that uh, just, again, want to end on that quote. Thank you for sharing with us, Kurt. You're an incredible man. And I'd encourage anybody, if you, if you want to like, if you want to learn more, if you're in that space that I was in earlier this last year, where you just, you just didn't know how to approach it, <clears throat> reach out to Kurt. Is that okay, Kurt, that I say that? Yes, that yeah. is perfectly okay. I just refer to myself as one of the safest gay men in the church. So <laughs> he's an incredible man, incredible man. And, and reach out to reach out to Kurt. I'll put your information when I post your podcast or reach out to Richard Osler, who is also another incredible resource. Um, just trying to walk the path of discipleship in really loving and, and bringing people to the table of Christ. So last time that quote, I was something else once too. once you've met the Messiah am is all that matters. That's all that matters. And it's okay to put yourself in a place where you are seen so you can be because people need to love you for who you are. Kurt, thanks, my friend. Thank you, Mike. Love you, brother. You're, you're my family, my friend. Absolutely, cousin. <laughs> okay, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for tuning in to Come Towards Delight, the podcast. I truly hope you enjoyed today's show. I would love to hear your feedback. You can subscribe to this podcast and leave a review on Apple Podcast or any podcast platform you use. If you or someone you know has a delightful story to share that I need to talk to, please email me at come towards delight at gmail.com.